0: Welcome to the SDR Disco Call Vidcast and Podcast, a show designed for brand new sales reps working in the world of tech sales. I'm your host, Neil Buyan, and I'm going to be taking you on a journey on the SDR Disco Call Vidcast and Podcast. Did you know that you can watch this show live with the guests on YouTube? This show is available on YouTube at happyselling.io. Today we have a special episode of the SDR Disco Core Vidcast and Podcast. Hello listeners and hello watchers. It's your host here, Neil Buyan of the SDR Disco Core Show. If this is your first time joining our show, this show is all about helping sales development reps or SDRs in the world of tech sales by getting insights from other SDRs from around the globe to help navigate their career, understand growing pains and become a great happy seller. And with our show, it's been running for about two years now, and a big shout out and thanks to all of our listeners, watchers, fans, and subscribers. But with the show beginning, it started with episode one with my own story of how I got into tech sales. And there'll be a link to that episode in the show notes if you want to check that out. But as with that show, towards the end of it, I would, I kind of said that, you know what, I'm going to kind of discuss what else happened in my career after starting as an SDR. And looking back on a couple of episodes, I kind of realized I forgot to do that. So I'm hoping to redeem myself by sharing the rest of my SDR journey in the early years. So with myself in that last episode, I was kind of talking about that I joined a company called Zora. Uh, they were a tech SaaS company and I was working with four account executives and kind of cutting my teeth in tech sales and learning, you know, how to be an SDR. And what I was really happy to say was I was somebody that was successful, but the main reason I was successful was I was the only SDR in the whole of Europe. So I kind of had a lay of the land and was able to, you know, book as many meetings as I could with some great companies. And then one day, um, our recruiter advised that we're going to be hiring another SDR. And I was like, cool, okay, there's going to be somebody working alongside me doing the same thing. And I remember going through that interview process, I was involved in it. So we was meeting lots of different candidates, um, and you know, with different experiences and in, in all honesty, some of this kind of intimidated me, but it also made me feel a bit protective because, you know, I was the first SDR for Europe in this company in London and, you know, I'd worked my ass off and I wanted to make sure that somebody equally or equally minded was coming on board as well. And we met a great candidate, a guy called Charlie Walker. So Charlie, um, had more sales experience than me because he actually did closing sales And he worked, uh, from what I remember, worked in the world of media. So he'd done business development, he'd done 360 sales, um, and he kind of saw this as an entry to getting into it. So initially meeting Charlie, I kind of really liked him, warmed to him, and I thought, you know what, here's a guy from London who's kind of on the same wavelength, let's get him in. So in those first few weeks, kind of what I had to show Charlie was, you know, the processes and things that I had learned, but also had built out from scratch, because Compared to the US SDRs that were my co-workers, it was a completely different ballgame working in Europe. So I was like sharing email templates, I was sharing him how I was prospecting and that I was really like favoured on LinkedIn in terms of doing in-mails by the team because I was able to book meetings that they were struggling to get. And, you know, those first few weeks, we kind of like worked quite well together. It took him a little while to ramp up. And I remember like shadowing him on discovery calls, shadowing him like on Salesforce, following up with his leads and everything. And it took around four, five weeks for him to kind of get into the motion of, you know, how to be an SDR at this company, Zora. So, you know, a couple of weeks went by, like he booked his first meeting and, you know, I kind of felt proud for him like not proud that, you know, I'd shown him how to do something, but that he was able to do it on his own. And that's kind of like where you get the wind in your sails. You know, when you book your first meeting, you're like, yeah, I made it. And then it's that reality of, okay, I need to keep doing this. But I remember like when he booked his meeting, like emails went through the roof internally where everybody was congratulating Charlie and like I was bigging him up and like saying like, well done, mate. And it's all about the next So months went by and something funny happened because we were initially kind of like a mini startup within a startup because the London office was a satellite office. And working with the account executives, we had some come in, we had some come out and me and Charlie were still there. And then you had these four account executives that were always, you know, fighting over who's going to get that meeting. And what we kind of devised was a very simple, you know, uh, round robin. So one person gets one, the other person gets the other. And then over time, this got segmented into like doing it on an alphabetical level. So me, I would focus on anything from A to L, and then Charlie would focus on anything from M to Z. And I think in hindsight, I would have actually preferred his list because a lot of the startups back then that we were trying to target had these cool names which tended to be at the end of the alphabet. Uh, but you know, we we went out and we kind of found our strengths, and we were prospecting, we were booking meetings, um. And then like we was actually building up this really great pipeline. And if anything else, at one point, we was kind of outperforming our U.S. counterparts because there was so much more in EMEA versus the U.S. Because in the U.S. you have territories, you have states. But in EMEA, you have countries. So we really were given like free reign to go after pretty much whatever we wanted to, as long as they fit the criteria. So we were looking for things which had companies that had funding. We'd have to find out kind of what ecosystem, if they weren't using Salesforce as a CRM, you know, they wouldn't be a fit for our solution. And ultimately, we was always targeted to go after the C-level suite. Because those are the people that would be running businesses and Zora at the time that we was pitching it as SCRs, we weren't pitching a platform, we were pitching a vision of something called the subscription economy and telling people that people are moving away from transactional one-time purchases and we're looking to go into subscriptions. So they had to have a subscription platform to help with their customers and their billing and all this sort of jazz, right? So months went by, things were going really good. And then we, started, uh, we hired a new uh, sales director for France because that was our next target market. Um, and a guy called Philip Van Hove, great gentleman, great salesman. Uh, when he came on board, me and Charlie were kind of round robbing, round robbing on France and like providing him leads. And then it came to the realization that we needed a dedicated SDR that spoke the language that was native and understood you know, the way of that French people work in terms of business. So again, uh, interviewing a lot of different candidates, me and Charlie both had a say in the hiring process and meeting different candidates. And we met this great, astute guy called Roman Nordan. Uh, Roman's a great guy, and I know he's a a great weightlifter as well. He's big into his gym. But when we met Roman, what we found was he was originally a, a tech recruiter. So he was used to, you know, reaching out to C-level people. In essence, he wasn't selling a platform, he was selling candidates or people. So he knew the interview process quite well, and he was quite astute in it. Um, But I remember uh, there was kind of like a bit of a pushback from the team, like, I don't know about this guy, like, he's got recruiting experience, but how can you translate that into being a great SDR And, you know, like we we kind of said, like, you know, the guy knew about our company. He did his research. He was well conversated and he could actually have a business conversation at a level that we would require for us to be speaking to our prospects when we were pitching Zora. And obviously we had to kind of give him the understanding that, you know, France, we've had some successes in it, but we need somebody to kind of, you know, be a mini CEO, mini CEO SDR for Zora in France. And he came on board, and this time around, Roman had the benefit of learning experiences from myself as an SDR, but also from Charlie. And what Roman was able to do was take the best bits of both. But truth be told, France was a very, very difficult market to penetrate back then. So we're talking 2014, right? And what we found in the feedback we had from Roman was, firstly, he had to translate every sequence that we had created in our sales loft cadences. Uh, And then tried to, you know, verbalize it into a French language. But he also reminded us that, you know, some words that we use in English don't translate fully to the same meaning within French. So, for example, with subscription, that would be a bonnement. But a bonnement would be more related to like newspaper subscriptions or, you know, weekly journals and stuff. Not like a subscription as you and I would have on, say, Spotify on LinkedIn. And also, what we also understood is that with the French market, they wouldn't really want to do business with somebody unless they had French customers. And if they had French customers, they wanted to speak to them before even engaging in any further sort of conversation. Um, and also, what we found at the time was the, uh, the French region was very you know, opposed to this idea of moving things to subscription. They preferred the transactional model um, that they were used to. So Roman had like a big challenge of, you know, seeing two other SDRs booking meetings all across Europe. And the guy was kind of struggling in France. But the good thing is like through perseverance, through iteration, through testing and challenging and changing things, some successes started coming about, And then we started seeing him booking bigger meetings. And what we found is that he had a knack for the enterprise space. So he could go for the big dogs. But understandably, the big dogs take longer to bring in and there'd be multiple uh, prospecting, multi-threading, Uh, And all this jazz. So you have three SDRs, you have myself, you have Charlie Roman, and like, you know, we're really taking Europe by storm. And then the next step is, uh, as part of Zura's strategy, they decided they were going to open up a German office because that was one of our next target markets. Um, And again, going through the hiring process, meeting a lot of candidates, and we came across a guy called Patrick Oswald, now, Patrick was a completely different breed to the rest of us. Um, he was quite, uh, very well spoken in terms of, you know, just being upfront and honest and direct. And as somebody that had been working Zora for a couple of years, where I was a bit protective, I was just like, I don't know if this guy's going to be all right with our prospects. But he equally had sales experience, but it was a different kettle of sales experience than what we all had. He, I remember, uh, he used to sell Red Bull. So he was a Red Bull salesman, like the energy drink. And he'd be going around to bars and he'd be partying, getting down with like nightclub owners and all of this stuff. And I was just like, this guy could bring a different mix and all together. And he's kind of like a party guy. And, you know, outside of Zora, I was this MC guy. So I kind of like saw a you know, a connection where I could get down with this guy on a friend level. Um, and when Patrick came on board, like, you know, he had me, he had Charlie, he had Roman, he had all these best practices to learn from and then try to implement that into like the Dach or the German market. And at the time, Patrick was his own being an entity and, you know, he was quite independent. So what he found he had to do was work with these account executives in the Dach region who were very business-like, not really the party type of guys that you would see, and very straight and hard-driven and very experienced veterans. And I remember there used to be like moments where, again, I wasn't a manager at this point. I was just kind of like the first guy. So they would come to me for questions and advice and like speaking to like his sales director like these to clash heads and i remember at that point i had to get to a point of like mediating the director for dach alexander and like patrick and you know saying like you've got this new guy you've got kind of got to give him a chance and alex was kind of like we need results we need this we need this we need this and these were similar conversations that i was having with a lot of the sales directors and they kept coming to me saying like how do we work with this sr how do we get them firing how do we get them booking more meetings and Ultimately, I was just like trying to remind them like that we're just people, you know, like give us like the autonomy to try things out, but also, you know, understand that we're looking to learn as well. Like we're all young guys in sales. This is kind of like our first proper sales job. So like we need to work as partners rather than I work for you or you work for me mentality. And, you know, like over the next year and a half, like things are really great. We built up some great pipeline. Paddy or Patrick was booking meetings and Dach, once he finally got his knack and was working with uh, the Dach team, Roman was just like becoming his own. And me and Charlie were kind of like sitting back and we're just like, it's kind of cool. Like we've helped create like a mini company, uh, within our own startup in the London office. And then it came to a point, you know, um, where me and Charlie like were talking on the level because we'd been there for a while and we got quite close sort of like, where do we see our futures going, dude? And I remember having a drink with a guy uh, up in London. We was in Mayfair at the time. And we kind of said to each other, Let, like, let's have an honest discussion. And I was kind of like, where do you want to go? And he was asking me, where do I want to go? And Charlie said to me at that point, like he would really not want to go into a closing role given the stress and that he's seen with the other account executives and everything. And he's more preferred to go into something like management. And I was like, all right, cool. Because at my point in time in life, I was like, all I wanted to do was an account executive. I just wanted to close deals and do what I saw the other A's. doing. cause you know, I've been doing this for like two and a half years and I'm itching. So we kind of like made like a, a gentleman's agreement that, you know, when things come about with those discussions with management, that's kind of the, the route we're going to take. Now, Shortly like after this, like a couple of months, like there was this element of all right, I've been here for two years now and I kind of want to pay rise because like, I've helped bring on these four guys, I've onboarded them, and you know, I want to feel a little bit appreciated. So it was that conversation with the manager of, you know, is there an next level or, you know, is there an increase in pay? And after a couple of back and forth discussions with our US team who were my main managers out there, it was a case of, okay, we recognize what you've done. You know, you're an asset to the company. So what we're looking to do is give you this team lead position and there'll be a salary bump on that. Now, being the young brash guy that I was, uh, in hindsight, well, looking back at it at the time, what I was feeling was like, yo, dude, like, I want to go into the AE thing. Like, I don't want to do this team lead thing. And I remember, like, my manager, Kat, at the time was saying, like, see, this team lead thing is like an opportunity for you to kind of take a driving simulator into, you know, a management position where I think, Neil, you'd be really good at. And I was like, no, I don't want to do management, Kat. I just want to be an AE. She said, well, look, these are some things that you're going to be able to learn and it will help you. But for the time being, what we need right now, Neil, is a team lead to help drive up the pipeline, create more opportunities and stuff like that. So, you know, all I could do at that point in time was take it. So I took the team lead role. And at that point it wasn't like a big change. Like I was still Neil, still doing the same thing. I was still that go-to guy for asking questions and everything like that. And I was still an individual contributor as well. And, you know, speaking with Charlie, I kind of said to him, like I said, dude, like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is your thing. This is what you want to do. Right. And he was like, yeah, 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 definitely. So, you know, we we cracked on for a couple of months more, uh, we hired some more people, uh, we got another DAH SDR, we then hired another French SDR, uh, we then hired another Italian SDR because the team was growing, right? Uh, and then it got to another point where, you know, I realized I didn't really have any training to like manage people because... Again, being a team lead, I'm not really a manager per se, but I'm still doing some of the responsibilities because we are a remote team compared to our US counterpart at the time. So, you know, just trying to get people motivated but not act as if they're they I was their boss. And, you know, like we all kind of considered this like as a flat organization. Um, and then it got to another point where we had a, a new VP come on board and, you know, we're progressing and it's coming like to annual reviews and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I got a shock. So my manager has a meeting with me and kind of says, Neil, like we're we're looking at the team, we're growing and we really need to kind of take ownership of this. And we would like to offer you a position of an SDR manager. And I was like, oh shit, (laughs) is what I thought in my head at the time. I was like, nah, that's not what I want to do. Um, and at that point I didn't know whether to tell Charlie or not because again the guy had his heart set on this role and I didn't and you know I had lots of conversations with my manager at the time like the pros and cons of it and even speaking to the recruiter that got me into the company as well just asking her advice I was just like what do I do and the way it was kind of put to me was like look we're growing at a phenomenal rate. One day we're going to go public, right? And you want to be this salesperson, cool, Neil, but now's not the time. You still haven't earned your stripes and you still haven't, you know, learned the ins and outs of like doing an AE role. But an arrogant Neil back then was like, I've seen guys do demos. like I've seen them like close deals. Like, I can definitely do this. Like, I don't want to do this management bit. Because truth be told, the way that I saw it was I would be putting my neck on the line for based on the performance of other people. And I was just like, I'm used to just being an individual contributor and just looking after my own neck. Why do I have to look after other people's? And again, remember, this was a young Neil that had never been in this position. And I remember, like, I had to take the role. um, And like, obviously, that came with the negotiation of like my contract and like my pay and just like kind of where I'd progressed thereafter because I needed to have some sort of clear path. And advice of, you know, like, if you're looking to progress, you need to kind of have a path. But what I've learned in hindsight is you can't expect your managers to give you that path. They can give you kind of like a rough idea as to how other people have done it, or perhaps they've done it. But you got to come with that game plan as to how you see you come into that role. But back then, I didn't know that. Um, so got the job. It was announced on a company, Zoom. or We used GoToMeeting back then, way back in the day. Um, and obviously Charlie heard the news and I remember like we had like a we went out for drinks that weekend like on, on the Friday and I just kind of went to him and said dude like in all honesty I don't want this position but I'm taking it because I kind of have to in order for me to go into this next AE thing and I said look l- l- let's do this thing of let me do this thing, let's help build, you help me build it out as well. And as soon as there's the opportunity for me to jump ship and go into the AE role, this is yours, you know? That's the only way I could do it. And, you know, we were both a bit disheartened and we were both a bit, you know, got a bit weird between us for a little bit because, you know, it just didn't go the way that we both fathomed all those months back when we was planning like our future careers and everything. So we'll park that for the moment. And I'll come into this SDR manager piece because a mindset change happened in me and my personality changed as well. Not for the better, unfortunately. Uh, And it was a big lesson. But kind of what got into Neil's head was, you know, I've been working at this company for a while. I've proved my worth. I now got a title, got a bump in salary. I'm the dog's bee's knees, (laughs) right? Almost swore then. Um, But it kind of went to my head a little bit unfortunately, because I felt that I'd earned this thing. And like, you know, I'm a manager now. And sitting down with the four, five, six guys that I was with, there was a bit of a paradigm shift of, okay, you're not so much this individual team lead guy anymore. You're like our manager. And I kind of had it in my head of like, right, you guys now work for me. I'm the boss. Unfortunately, that's how I thought and to my detriment. And, And over the coming weeks and months, it was hard because like the vibe in the team had changed and I was trying to process it as if like, look, I've proved my worth. I know how to do this stuff. I've booked meetings that have closed into big deals and stuff like that. Like, come on guys, follow me and I'll show you the way. Um, and I remember like over the months, like we moved into a new office, uh, we're all setting up and I kind of became a little bit of a micromanager. So, You know, when you're having calls with your manager in the US and saying, okay, metrics are down, pipelines down, people are down, such and such isn't generating, what's going on, Neil? And not having the tools to understand how to have those conversations with my team, it would be the case of like, what's up, what's going on? The stresses that I got put on from management then came into me and then I put them back out onto my team. So it caused a worse vibe in the sense of our culture. And... I remember many a time I'd get frustrated. I'd be emailing somebody saying, Hey, you haven't done your calls for today. Or, you know, you haven't gotten these meetings and stuff like that. And became a bit of a dick, not going to lie. And I think it got to a point where, you know, we had to have like a sit down and honest conversation with the team. And I just said, guys, like I don't get it. Right. I'm here for you. I'm like giving you everything and you know, like what's going on. And like, a mirror was put in front of me and it was kind of like, like, Neil. look, we respect you. You're a great guy and we understand you're the Mandarin stuff, but you don't have to act like a dick about it. And I had to kind of humble myself and ask him, okay, what can I do to help? And it was a case of, you know, helping us like trying to book these meetings, helping us have the conversation with the A's, helping us convert stuff over and all of that. And I think at that point in time, I kind of realized that I had, um, you know, an insufficient amount of knowledge of how to handle these situations. So back then I remember speaking to HR and just saying like, look, I think the biggest thing that I need right now is like manager training because I've been given this manager job, but I don't know how to do it. And, you know, I I went online and I was looking at courses like CIPD, so the Chartered Institute of Professional Development, like for like maybe taking some like one day a week and going learning this stuff in my time. But unfortunately back then, given the fact we were a growing company, it was still like a startup mode. These things couldn't be enabled or couldn't be given to me. Uh, And it was a case of I just had to learn as I went along, which was still a good thing because, you know, I learned a hell of a lot from that of what to do and what not to do. And like, what I'm really happy to say is like a couple of years later, like running a team of like 10 to 12 SDRs across Europe, uh, we generated as a team 3.5 million of closed ARR business all from our outbound efforts. And it was super cool. And the other thing that happened was uh, we had a new like VP of global. And this is kind of like one of the funniest parts of the career. So imagine for a minute, we've got a well oiled engine. We're super proud. Like we've got top billers, we've got top SDRs, like we're running this game. Uh, and we're kind of like, uh, we had a healthy competition against the US. And then all of a sudden, we find out that our existing VP of MIA was being let go. And I, kind of saw this guy as like a sales dad because he was teaching me like all the nuances of how to be a great sales professional and like he had a lot of time for me, had a lot of respect and he gave me a lot of coaching and he was going off to pastures new. And we were told that a new VP who had worked in another organization that had taken it to IPO was coming on board. And I was thinking, all right, cool. Well, my job's cool because again, there is no other SDR manager here and I should be fine. And I remember this VP of Global came out and, um, as he came out uh that was the same time that I had my son so uh July two thousand fourteen uh was the year that I had my first child, and I was a new dad, and I was super happy and you know, kind of saw myself secure at Zora for a couple of number of years and looked to grow out uh through through working in that company and This guy from the u s came over, and his idea was literally to come and meet the whole EMEA team and Kind of what it felt like when he arrived was he was kind of re-evaluating everybody and interviewing everybody for their existing job. So he met everyone and some people got let go, like after his visit. And that really caused this sense of like frenzy scare <laughs> within the mia team. And I kept saying to myself, well, look, I'm the only Neil. There's nobody that can do what I can do. I should be fine. And when I met down and sat down with this guy, when I finally got called into the office, um, he kind of asked me, he said like, so can you walk me through like your strategy and how you're doing this SDR gig in the U- uh, in, in Europe because it's completely different to the US, but you, you guys are getting different results. And I kind of walked him through like how I did what I did. And you have to remember that a lot of the stuff that I did or was doing was just all taught from scratch. So I had to kind of figure it out myself and create my own systems and processes. And then I've, you know, given this to my current existing U- uh, SDR team And they're doing the same thing. And he kind of came in with the objection of just, that's not the way it works. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're doing LinkedIn messaging, like you're doing a couple of emails. What you should be doing is creating these big lists. You should be calling every day. And it kind of felt a bit old school sales to me. And granted, this guy came from a corporate organization, which perhaps that's the way they did it. But I kind of turned around to him and said, I disagree. That's just not the way it's going to work because... Look at the opportunities we've created, look at the type of meetings, look at our AE's pipeline, and you know, we've brought in close business. We don't book meetings for the sake of meetings, we book them to generate revenue. Because I was very proud of our team and what we'd accomplished, and I wasn't gonna let anybody come in and try and tell me otherwise. Even at the risk of losing my job. Geek. Um But the way the conversation ended was like we came to agree to disagree, you know, amicably. Um, But what was instructed to me was we're going to have to do it a completely different way and that the AEs would take a bit more of the ownership. They, you know, the SDR shouldn't be doing qualification calls and, you know, they should just be booking the meeting and just handing it over. So we ran for it for a quarter and lo and behold, results dropped. And, you know, things actually being uh, converted into opportunity, it was just all dropping. And a conceited part of me was just like, I'm just going to let this run and just show them that it doesn't work. <laughs> and me and that person then had a conversation where, you know, they came up and said, you know what? I think I was wrong the way that I went in with this, Neil. I had an idea and I understand perhaps maybe working your way would be a better approach. I'm sitting there smug and thinking like, hmm yeah. Uh, but I had to be, you know, honorable about it as well and, you know, be an adult. So I was like, cool. As long as I can hear you saying maybe your way could have been a better way, then I'm going to come to help you out. Because, again, I'm not going to let this baby drop because we've helped build this thing out. Uh, so that's uh, all cool and done. Um, you know, it then got to the point where I'd been with Zora for about three and a half years and I was like, I, I still want to do this AE position. And things were really successful with our team, with Europe. Like We was ex- like experiencing so much growth and was really proud of everything we've achieved. We partied together we were friends, they knew my son, like we went out and like, it felt like a family unit. And I understood like working in startups, people come and go, things grow. And the one bit of advice that was given to me by my CEO, which I want to give to you as listeners, if, if you're in a startup as well, is a startup never stays the same. Like some companies change like after one, three, five years as they grow up. But within a startup, it's every quarter, it reiterates and it changes into a new company. Either based on the way the product's going or, you know, the way who who's leadership, um, the strategy and plans, because they're still trying to figure stuff out. And, you know, even though they may have experience doing it in other companies, they have to kind of mesh that all together. So it's this constant evolving thing. So that kind of, you know, understanding that removed the anxiety about job security and where the company was going, where we we're gonna go public one day, I just said I knew it was a process and it takes time. Same as a sales deal, right? You don't just meet somebody do the disco, do the demo, then close them. It takes, you know, on average for a mid-market deal, it could take anywhere between one to three months. For an enterprise deal, it could take anywhere from six to nine months or plus. And it's the same as a company, it's growing. And now me owning my own company, I totally freaking get that, right? Um, But coming back to this thing of like, I really wanted to do this AE position. So I remember at the time I reached out to our general manager of Europe, uh, a guy called John Phillips, great guy, and shouts out to him, he's still there. Um, I kind of went to John, I was like, dude, I just want to do this AE thing. And I know the platform, I know the talk track, I know the decks, I know everything. And the cool thing is, uh, you may have ever heard something called the greatest sales deck ever created was at Zora. I had a helping hand in that. That was created by a guy called Morgan Norman. um, And I've still got the original deck. So if you want the original deck, uh, still got it, just send me an email and I'll be happy to send it out and share it out. But anyway, I digress. So I kind of went to John, I said, look, look, give me an opportunity to kind of prove myself as an AE. I said, let me take one of my outbound opportunities um, and try and run the sales cycle. And John said, okay, I'm going to let you do this, Neil. You do it how you think you need to do it. And then I need you to report back to me. So I remember at the time I had a, a media company because that was my thing. I was great at getting media meetings with CEOs and like big newspapers and I had an Irish newspaper at the time where the CTO, I had the head of digital and I kind of did the the disco, I did the discovery, I did the talk tracks, I did the presentation, I did the follow, I did everything right. And I remember sitting down with Brendan, my A, who I looked to as a great guide and inspiration. And he just kind of said to me, this is dead. And I was like, what do you mean it's dead? He she said, Neil, they're just talking the talk. I don't think they really want to buy it. And I was like, no, I can definitely feel it. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of AEs out there that probably have said the same thing when they feel like they've got that deal. Um, but cut a long story short, it flopped. They went silent on me. Nothing was happening. Um, and I had to come back to John and I had to report. And I had to report that I've tried. I did everything and it just didn't work. And John gave me like some honest advice and he said, look, I know where your heart is and I know that you really want to do this thing, but I genuinely don't think you're ready yet, Neil. Like this takes years and what you're doing for this SDR team, you're building it out. Like you should be really proud of that. I said, I am, but I have aspirations and I have wants as well. And he said, well, look, you know, there may be an opportunity in the future where we can revisit this, but right now, where we really need your help is this leadership and pipeline. Because if we don't have that, Neil, then, you know, we don't have a healthy business and what we're trying to do with Aura. And I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. But Neil was thinking otherwise because Neil felt really disgruntled and uh, just annoyed. And like, I've just had a son and I need to provide for my partner at the time. And, you know, I need to, I've got dreams of having a house, having a car. You know, getting married one day, all this sort of stuff, and I just didn't see it happening. So it got to the point where I started looking elsewhere for other jobs. And the funny story goes is an opportunity was created by Roman, uh, our French SDR for the Belgian market, uh, with a company called Showpad. And with Showpad, uh, they provided a sales enablement platform. So basically. Uh, when you do presentations, they allow you to create presentations using different pages and then sending it to your prospect. And then you can track which pages they had looked at. Um, And they were a well-qualified lead, but they just weren't ready to buy. And I remember the first thing I started doing when I was an SDR or manager and looking for another job, I looked at our own prospects and customers and asking myself the question, could I transfer what I've learned in one of the best SaaS companies ever and go into another startup? And Uh, I went into Salesforce and I saw like the decision makers and stuff. And I came across this guy called David Dupree. uh, And then (laughs) I did something very naughty. I don't know if it's naughty or not. Uh, So Tina, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, But I found one of the VPs of sales and I thought, okay, that's my way in. So I connected with a guy on LinkedIn and uh, I reached out to him and said, hey, I work for Zora. I understand that you guys are evaluating us. I just wanted to introduce myself as the SDR manager for Europe. Um, lovely to meet you and just left it at that. And then David sent me a message back, which was really cool. And he said, Oh, great to meet you, Neil. Um, we're currently looking for account executives for our new London office that we're launching in a couple of weeks. Do you know anyone that might be interested? And he put a winky face. <laughs> and I was just like, Is this fate? I don't know. So I reached back out to him and said, Well, between me and you, David, me. I'm actually looking for this. And he said, Okay, well, let's talk. And I said, Well, I want to kind of keep this hush, hush, I don't want to share it. Like, I can't do this on my normal email and stuff like that. So the way it transpired was David like had a call with me and I kind of told him my gripes of kind of where I'm at, where I want to go to. And I was speaking to other companies that I prospected and, you know, reached out to their heads of sales to see if there's something for me there. And um, met up with David in um, Shoreditch at the time uh, when Shope had just launched its London office. I remember uh, he said, right, I'm going to have a meeting with you, Neil, and our CEOs as well. And I was like, yeah, cool. I chat to CEOs all day long. This is nothing. And the arrogant side of me was like, Zora's a much bigger company than you, so I could do this. This will be a walk in the park for me because, boy, I've got the knowledge from Zora, right? And I remember the the day that I went for the interview, I had to kind of tell Zora that, um, you know, I had to go deal with some family matters or something like that. But I was obviously going for a job interview. Again, sorry, team. Um, and you know what? Uh, I turned up. And I remember I took the notes that I had from Salesforce about the company because what we had to do as SDRs, we had to know when we were prospecting, we really had to do our research. So what we needed to know, what was the corporate objective of that company? What was their strategic initiatives that they're planning to do? We'd have to find out what their business initiatives were to do. We had to find out what their ecosystem, what CRM are they using, what general ledger. We had to do some real deep qualification as SDRs. So I knew my stuff. Walking into that meeting, and the funny thing was, uh, I wrote it on, I printed it out on an A4 piece of paper, and I put it in my pocket. And when I sat down, uh, I had David, who was sitting in the corner, and I had PJ Pietyarden, uh, Pietyard John, PJ. Sorry, tongue's a bit tied today. And PJ was in front of me, and accidentally, those notes fell out onto the table in front of me. I was like, "Oh my god, no! They can't see this." But the funniest thing happened. PJ saw the notes, and he picked it up, and he looked at them, and he was like wow, you really do your research, don't you? He said, I really love it when somebody comes to an interview and prepared. (laughs) And me, I was like, yeah, you know, I I, I take this very seriously, PJ. And um, of course, I I kind of do with those because I really need to know what I'm going into. So I remember chatting to PJ, uh, giving the talk, and I remember David just sitting in the background like the, the, the media mogul that he is and his two hands and fingers together and he's just got his fingers over his lips. And I'm walking the walk and talking the talk with PJ. And I know that I kind of sold him. And I told him, like, what I want to do is become an AE. But what I'm happy to do is go back into being an SDR to prove my worth, bring what I've learned from this company Zora, and try and help you guys, like, break into the UK market. And then David came in, and I think he could smell the BS. Like, there was an element where I wasn't, you know, ready to be the AE. And he could sense that, and I could sense that as well. But he just gave a few questions, and at the end of it, he gave his feedback, and he just he kind of laid it down down the law for me, and he kind of said, "Like, look, Neil, I think you're a great guy. You've got great potential. You've got an extensive knowledge at this company, or like they're big dogs, and we we know a lot about them. Uh, and I definitely think that you could, you know, help us out as well if you're you're willing to move. Um, but this AE thing, I think there's some things that you still need to learn. But what we're happy to do is help you learn those things because if you think about Showpad." we sell to VPs of sales. We sell to VPs of marketing. Like the world of sales is what we're all about. So the things that you're going to be able to learn alongside myself and the other account executives, we'd be willing to help you out. And what I kind of saw at that point was the path, you know, where I kind of led it up as to how I want to get there. But then I had this great VP who, you know, is now one of my life mentors. So again, shouts out to David Dupree. Um, given me an opportunity and chance and I remember when handing in my resignation at Zora it was kind of I think they knew that it was going to happen um and I knew that you know I'd been there for like three or four years now and I've, I've kind of played my part it's time for me to move on I'm doing what I've seen a lot of the other great executives do at Zora like you've done your piece you've helped them up to a certain point you can't probably help any more than what you already do so it's time to move on um, and then, obviously, with showpad, that was kind of the beginning before I went into that a e role. But I want to take a pause there because that is a chapter that I would love to record uh for another episode in the future. but this time around, I will remember to do it, so I promise so I think you know what are my key takeaways um from from my stint at Zora like leading up to leaving on there. The first thing is, you know, you may have to build up processes and stuff from scratch. And the thing that I've said in other episodes and I've heard from other guests is document the hell out of this, because one day you're going to get that Charlie, Roman and Patrick that are going to need that information. But what you should also do is allow them to enhance it with their own thoughts and minds and, you know, their best practices. Don't think just because you've done it, you know, everything, you know, uh, they say, practice what you know, and you'll find out what you don't know. Um, in terms of like management and career and guidance, like in hindsight, becoming that manager was the best thing ever. Because ultimately what I wanted to do was be a CEO of my own company. So if you want to be a great CEO or a founder, you need to know how to manage, but also work with teams and collaborate. And kind of what I learned then was, you know, the, the mentality of you work for me, it doesn't work. And Gary V goes on about the point of, you know, you don't work, they don't work for you, you work for them. But what I kind of realized was actually we work together. It's not a case of I work for you, work for me, we work together. And that's how you move things forward. And that's the way you should look at it with your account executives, with your managers, with your SDR peers. You know, it's not a competition of who can earn the most or get the best job title. It's a case of how can we help this company grow? Because that's ultimately why we're there, right? We're seeing this startup, this cool thing. We want to be a part of it. So that's how you provide an impact. Uh, and obviously, you know, whether it's a prospect or a job interview, do your research because it will really impress them. And, you know, formerly being a hiring manager, when candidates came to the interviews and they knew the company history, they knew what the founders were up to and how it all came into fruition. They knew about the funding. They knew about their competitors. having all that intel and bringing that information into a job interview shows that you know your stuff. And that's what makes you, you know, that's one of the things that can make you memorable in there as well. So ladies and gentlemen, listeners, subscribers, watchers, thank you so much for joining on this episode of the SDR Disco Call show. I also want to give out some special shout outs on this show today as well. So firstly, I want to give a shout out to every fan, listener, and subscriber for supporting this show and listening in week in week out uh, and also to our guests that have been great and monumental on this and for the last two years like hitting over 25,000 downloads in over 50 countries none of it have been, would have been possible without you all. I also want to give a special mention out to the sound engineer and producer of this show a guy called Carl Brentwoods of KGB Studios. Every podcast that you listen to that sounds great and crisp and clean it's all thanks to Carl So a big shout out, and and funnily enough, he was my music producer in my music rapping life. And again, this podcast has really helped strengthen our relationship and it's taught us a hell of a lot. So again, thank you to Carl. I also want to give a big shout out to uh, Laura Buckley. So Laura was the executive assistant for Happy Selling, and she was also my head of marketing. Um, And she really helped me launch this podcast through our website, through Bcast, um, like writing all the show notes, getting all the guests together and all of that. Another shout out. I want to give out to Rebecca Jones. So Rebecca joined us last year. She's since left. Um, but with Rebecca, she was a person that really helped take our content and make it engaging and like uh, the adverts, the show notes, everything uh, the website design and all of that. And she really took it to the nth degree. Um, and again, another shout out to Liz Bandari, our new head of marketing that's now taking on this role of like you know, everything we've created and helping me take it to the next level for our listeners and watchers out there. Um, and again, you know, like for every SDR that listens to this, to every person that shares this with their team, um, this has been an amazing journey and I want to continue this again. So again, if you're listening to this in your local podcast, uh, platform, such as Spotify and Apple, please give us a rating, uh, because the rating will help us increase and get ourselves out to more people to listen to. And you can also leave a voice note in uh, the bottom of the show notes by list in your actual podcast platform. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please make sure you give us a like, comment, subscribe. And also, I would love to to get your thoughts as well. So what do you think about my journey and kind of what I've gone through? Would you have done anything different? Put it in the comment section below. Let us know. So um, again, thank you so much for listening and watching. This is Neil Buyer your host of the SDR Disco Call Show. And I look forward to sharing many more chapters with many more SDRs out there. Have a great day and most importantly, happy selling, guys. Thank you so much for listening to our show today. If you work in tech sales and have a career or story that you'd love to share, then please email us at podcast at happyselling.io and we'll be in contact to book in a show. Disco call, one word, at bcast, which is B-C-A-S-T dot email, and you'll be added to our mailing list. We're also on the lookout for new guests, so if you work in the world of sales development as an SDR, BDR, MDR, or ADR, and feel that you have an important message or story to share, feel free to email us at podcast at happy and we'd love to have you on board.